data gathering on this edition of Truth in Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth in Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. Well, I'm so excited that we have with us today on the podcast, Dr. John Street. To many of you who have been around biblical counseling for a long time, uh, you recognize that name uh, very easily. Dr. Street has been a, a faithful biblical counselor for many, many years. He's a professor of biblical counseling at the Master's University in Santa Clarita, California. He's also the president of our board at, here at ACBC. And so I have an opportunity to spend a lot of time with Dr. Street on the phone and talking back and forth. And I just appreciate the ministry of this brother. And today, what he's going to do is help walk us through the importance of data gathering. In biblical counseling, oftentimes we, we focus on our duty in giving counsel, and that is critically important. But if we miss the first step of not hearing well, then our counsel will always be off. And so, Dr. Street, I'm so glad that you're here today to talk with us about this issue of data gathering. So can you walk us through some of the important factors of us gathering data well? Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here, Dr. Johnson, and it is a great pleasure to be able to welcome you as our new executive director here at ACBC. And uh, I think we have some of our best years ahead because of you. And I'm excited about that. And I want to communicate that not just from myself, but from the entire board here at ACBC as well. Data gathering. It's really interesting. As conservative Christians, we are very, very good at um, siding with truth, communicating truth. Uh, most guys that go through seminary, they're trained to preach. If they go to a decent seminary, they're trained to exegete the word of God well, preach the word of God well, and we're really good at that. But one of the things that we're not very good at is data gathering. We're not very good at listening to people. Now, we are taught to exegete the Bible well, but seminary oftentimes fails us in teaching us how to exegete the hearts of people well. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, we have a tendency to assume we already know what's going on in people's hearts and lives, and we don't. Preaching is a monologue. It's where you prepare a sermon and you present it directly towards a congregation in order to minister to them. And preaching is vital. It's very important. Anybody in seminary or in pastoral ministry understands the importance of preaching. However, just as important is the private ministry of the Word of God. And that's where preaching is a monologue, but counseling is a dialogue. Mm -hmm. You have to sit across the table from a person and interact with that person. And sometimes they'll give you feedback or pushback on what's being said. And there's reasons behind them doing that. They not, may not always be good reasons, but oftentimes we're not listening carefully to what is being said. I can remember a case in my past where I had a couple come to me. The wife accused the husband of abuse. I always take that very seriously. I want um, to be helped her if I can. And she accused her husband of certain things that he had done to her. He um, actually stepped back and said, listen, I'm not a perfect husband, but I disagree. I did not do those things. And of course, I listened to her. I didn't ask any further questions. Later on, during a 
personal disagreement that they had. She called the police, brought the police in on a situation in the home. He got taken off to jail because the police believed her. He was a big guy. He was just a big teddy bear is what he was. And she was a little blonde haired gal. And as a result of that, um, he then spent six months in jail. But towards the end of that six months, she realized that she had really lied. She became very convicted about that. She went back to the police. She confessed she lied. They didn't believe her. They thought that she had um, a victim's remorse type of experience. So they didn't believe her. And she wrote me a lengthy letter explaining how she had, for her own selfish purposes, as a way to get revenge on her husband because he had done a couple of things that she didn't like, falsely accused him of abusing her. Well, when I thought back about my own counseling and what happened there, I'm saying to myself, I... I came down with both feet on her side. I erred on the side of protection and biblical counselors, that's the better side to to take. Mm -hmm. But I didn't ask enough questions. I assumed I already knew what was going on. I should have pressed it. I should have asked questions. I should have listened more. And I realized that I had not really trained myself to listen or ask good questions. So as a result of that, this became a very personal endeavor for me to push forward in my own personal development and counseling, to listen to people carefully. We have a, another graduate program near us. It's a integrationist program that's full of psychology. In fact, the whole philosophy that pervades there is a Rogerian, uh, non-directive type of counseling. And that particular approach brings graduate students in for the first year, puts them into counseling situations, but they tell them for the entire year, you're supposed to sit in a counseling situation and you're not allowed to say a word. All you're supposed to do is listen. Now, some of you that are familiar with Rogerian non-directive therapy understand what they're trying to do there. Well, as biblical counselors, we're very directive in our therapy Mm -hmm. because we have the word of God. We've got God's authoritative word. But they are onto something, and they're onto something really important here, and that is that people jump to conclusions very quickly. They have preconceived notions about what's going on in the lives of other people, and oftentimes those are erroneous, and we've got to spend more time asking good questions, listening to the answers until we are absolutely sure we have our arms around that problem. There's no way we're really going to be able to help people until we can really exegete what's going on in their hearts. And you're not going to know that unless you ask and develop the art and skill of asking good questions. That's so key. It is key. You're so right. And and how can we give proper counsel uh, without hearing first, but you mentioned some of those questions and delicate situation that you mentioned in the beginning. Mm-hmm. When we're asking those questions, give us an example of, of some of those types of questions where you could have pressed in a little bit harder to, to get a little bit more data that might have led you in a different direction relative to counseling. Sure. And I, one of the things I probably could go back to is that counseling case that I shared. And I think as I reflect back upon it, I should have asked the woman who was making the accusations against her husband more direct questions as to when did this happen? How often does it happen? Specifically, what is happening? What are your personal thoughts and experiences when this does happen? How do you respond to it when it does happen? 
Do you get angry? Do you get frustrated? Do you return violence or hateful words in return? Not as an effort to try to find fault with supposed victim. That's not what I'm trying to do. I just want to understand the problem better. And I'm never really going to be able to help them substantively until I understand that problem and I have all the data down and I interpret it correctly. I'm not going to get there unless I can ask those kind of questions. So when we ask some of those questions, one of the things in the Gospels that we see is the manner in which Jesus asks questions. Mm. Now, it's not unusual for Jesus to ask a why question. He does that on occasion, but most of the time in the Gospels, he asks questions just like what you you just mentioned, how mm-hmm. questions and what questions. He's asking a person what they're doing, in part because that's what they can see, that's what they're experiencing, and, uh, and then he understands that there's something behind it. So describe even in, in those terms some of those good how questions and what questions that really drive us to um, get better data out of whatever situation that we're dealing with. That's good. I mean, if you have a husband-wife conflict, and oftentimes those of you that are more experienced in counseling have sat across the table from this kind of thing, uh, a a good how question at that particular point is, um, how do you know that this is exactly what your your spouse is thinking? How do you know that? because you're getting at their prejudgments of that other person's heart. All right. And this, of course, this drops us right in immediately to Matthew 7, where Jesus talks about the fact that the, the particle and trying to pick the particle out of other people's eyes. And when you all along have a log hanging out of your eye, we are very good at seeing the errors in other people, but we're really have a difficult time. That's why almost universally in biblical counseling, we have people do log lists. Mm-hmm because they then need to identify those logs that are in their eye that keep them from really being the man or, or woman of God that they need to be or husband and wife that they need to be. So, and then how questions like, I want you to explain to me how you can be a better husband or you can be a better wife. Or let me switch the scenario just for a moment. Let's say, for example, you have a woman who comes in and she's very reluctant to tell you she's being abused when in reality that's really going on and the husband is is there and being very intimidating, all right, then I'm going to be asking her a lot of questions and I may ask the husband to step out of the room for a while mm. and I'm going to just talk with her personally and then I'll, and I'll say to him, the purpose of this is not to run you down behind your back. I want to find out what is going on in her life so that I can better be a, a good minister of the gospel to her. That's really key. And then I may bring him in and talk with him personally without her in the room. And the same way, how can I help him be a, actually a better husband? And in doing so, sometimes a lot of detail comes out. If you have one spouse that's being intimidating towards another spouse, whether it be physical intimidation or maybe they have a... Uh, information on the other spouse that they've threatened to reveal to other people that nobody knows. And that can be a power play in that relationship. Well, when you're counseling people, you've got to be very careful and not take sides. If you're dealing with a couple, Bob or Barbara, and you don't want to take Bob's side, you don't want to take Barbara's side, you always want to come down with both feet on God's side of this Mm -hmm. issue. And you need to let them know that. That's really critical. In order that you can bring them together. Sometimes I'll say to them, you know, 
I really don't do a lot of marriage counseling just for marriage counseling. I don't do that. I do a lot of counseling of husbands and wives and their personal relationship with God. And the closer they are to him, then the closer they are going to be to each other. That's really key. And in fact, I draw a little triangle on the board, God at the top of the triangle and the husband and wife at either end and show them as the closer that they get to God, the closer they will be to one another. That's going to be my main focus there. So what you've done for us today is you've really helped us to think through the process. We're we're so eager sometimes to get to our directive counseling, which is important and non-negotiable, but we have to go through a very important step and we can't miss that step. Uh, in order to get proper counsel from the Word of God. Dr. Street, we're so grateful that you were here with us today. It's great. I mean, if they remember anything, I hope they'll remember Proverbs eighteen thirteen. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is a folly and a shame to them. In other words, you've got to be able to hear. You've got to be able to listen. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Data gathering is a topic that we talk about often in our ACBC certification training. And if you're interested in learning more about data gathering or becoming a certified member of ACBC, we would love to invite you to our training that happens all over the country in our uh, different training centers, 67 across the United States. And we're excited to invite you to those training centers where you can learn more about issues just like this, data gathering and a more in-depth expression of how we do this process of data gathering well. So if you'd like more information about that training or other resources that we offer here at ACBC, you can visit us at biblicalcounseling.com.